Good morning and welcome to Friday. I was told to stand still and close to the microphone, so y'all let me know if I'm achieving both of those. But I'm Robin Smoller. I'm Chief Communications Officer at Schusterman Family Philanthropies. Super excited to welcome you all to our Friday session, which is going to be awesome. We're going to be focused on our conference theme of leadership. So I don't know if anybody could have made a more compelling case for the importance of communications than Latasha Brown from Black Voters Matter. It was just incredible. She gave voice to something that you all in this room know, which is that communications is one of the purest expressions of leadership. Leaders use communications to move ideas into reality, to help people navigate change, to rally people to a cause, to just build those authentic relationships we've been talking about. That's what makes our work so important, and it's what all of us are here in this room to do. It's also, what's, it's also a, weight, a responsibility we have, and at times it can be a weight we carry. And being here together in this room reminds us that the value of this network is we're here in a room full of friends and peers who carry some of those same weights and responsibilities that we do. So that brings me to this incredible group that's up here on stage with us. Over the last few weeks, uh, these incredible folks have been workshopping leadership lessons that we're now going to share with you. So we each have one minute to share two things. One, a leadership lesson. And two, how we make the case for communications in our organization. So we've distilled them down, as I said, to one minute. You know they are down to their true essence. They are powerful and they are actionable. And I think that's the comms holy grail, right? So are we ready? Yeah, we're ready? All right, so my leadership lesson is that you have to learn to lead from different vantage points. So we have a program, a leadership development program we run, where the very first activity you do is sheep herding. You have to herd a group of sheep across a field. And it sounds funny, but leaders quickly learn that you can't just lead from the front. To be an adaptive leader, you have to learn to ask, when do I lead from the front? When do I lead from the side? When do I lead from the back? And importantly, when do I empower others to lead? Learning to lead from different vantage points is an important leadership skill, and I also think it's a, it makes you a better communicator. We make the case for communications in our organization by building excellent partnerships with the teams we support. We do that by focusing on trust and clarity. Sometimes that requires us to go slower in the beginning to build those partnerships, but taking the time up front ensures that teams know the value we bring to the table and they're ready to pull up a seat for us. The best partnerships are when we work with our teams from idea to execution. The magic is in the partnership. Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Janine Abrams McLean and I'm the president at Fair Count. My greatest leadership lesson is simple. Don't talk about it, be about it, <laughs> right? This is a lesson that can be applied to all aspects of leadership, from making tough decisions to my favorite topic of practicing, practicing self-care and, um, and modeling boundaries. As leaders, or as a leader, you really want to support the health and well-being of your team. But if you don't take care of yourself, and if you don't set boundaries between your personal life and your work life, then all you're doing is setting the example that what you're saying is just a bunch of fluff. So let's all do everyone a favor and really lead by example. 
Now, my, I, I show up for comms by, or our team <laughs> makes the case for comms, by connecting our team to the communities that we serve. Now, as a Southerner, I often talk in stories. And at Fair Count, we use stories to learn about the communities we serve and the best way that we can serve them. But we also use those stories to inform individuals and to motivate them to be active participants in our democracy. So in my mind, comms is the key for true understanding and for making real change. Hello everyone, my name is Norris West. I'm Director of Strategic Communications at the Annie E. Casey Foundation in Baltimore. And my leadership lesson for today is very simple. It's understanding that our work, half of our work, is explaining our organization's work and, and our ideas to our target audiences. The other half is explaining our audiences to our organizations. So that's, that's important. It takes learning. It takes listening. Uh, we need to listen so that we can make sure that we have the information we need, that we can craft and cultivate that information and deliver it in a way where, the, where it will stick, where it will connect, because that's where we get to hearts and minds. I make the case for communications uh, by ensuring that we at Casey use both storytelling and data. Uh, we need both of them. If we have stories without data, we don't have the underpinnings that we need to make sure that people know that what we're talking about is real, and we want to keep it real. But we also need stories to move people, to move people with their, to move their hearts, to move their minds. So make sure that we do both and make it work. Good morning, everyone. My name is Sherry Mazur. I'm the Managing Director of Communications at the Arthur M. Blake Family Foundation, right here in Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> so my Peloton teacher always tells me I can do hard things. And I don't know that she had this scenario in mind when she said that. But my leadership tip for today is to embrace obstacles and view the challenges as opportunities simply to go through. My team and I recently had final round of edits on our website. It was launching the next day and we had only eight hours to get all of our edits in to the web developers. It was a big task. I offered an incentive to the team. Whoever found the most areas for improvement on the site would earn a gift card. Needless to say, everybody hustled that day and everyone earned a gift card. The point is just find ways that you can overcome your obstacles. Offer an incentive, ask for volunteers, see if you can get more budget because there's always a way. And my tip for communications is that we are very fortunate in that our founder and president truly believe that communications has a voice in the organization in amplifying the work of our grantees. So we make that case um, by telling those stories, but also having a tremendous leadership who believe in the team. Thank you. Hi, I'm Fiona Guthrie, and I'm the chief communications officer at the Innocence Project in New York. I am going to borrow steel shamelessly from Hamilton and say, talk less, listen more. Be curious, listen to learn, listen to discover new ideas and new approaches, and listen to find that sweet spot where experience meets innovation and magic can really happen. 
I make the case for communications by showing the value add, by partnering with commitment early and building strong relationships, by communicating with clarity and by celebrating the successes loudly and proudly that communications have helped to drive. Good morning, everyone. My name is Hansi Stokes. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the Director of Communications for SMILE. My leadership tip is for those of you who are just now stepping into leadership roles. Take the time to reflect on the leadership models that help shape you in your career. How will you channel those influences as you continue to build your own leadership legacy? I make the case for communications, particularly on a team of direct service providers, as an extension and integral part of our programming. Just as our services are designed to empower, uplift, and support the communities we work with, our communications too must serve as catalysts to propel social change forward. Good morning. I'm Jess Tanzi at the University of Chicago Consortium on School Research. And I think it's important for us as leaders to keep work human in real time. And I really like Adrienne Marie Brown's description in Emergent Strategy that real time is slower than social media time, where everything feels urgent. Real time often includes periods of silence, reflection, growth, space, self-forgiveness, processing with loved ones, rest, and responsibility. In terms of making the case for comms, often in conversations, I'm nudging folks, we're nudging folks, for a little more reflection, consideration, and clarity around what, how, why we're doing what we're doing. And that extra consideration and clarity makes our teams and our organizations not just better communicators, but better partners in the work. Good morning. My name is Kim Wallace Carlson. I'm the Director of Strategic Communications at the Kauffman Foundation in Kansas City, Missouri. My leadership tip is to embrace the plot twist. There's going to be times when there's an obstacle, a change, a challenge, just something that comes up that you did not plan for. Embrace it. Lean into it. Keep telling that story. That's what we do, right? We're storytellers. We're resilient. We're adaptive, we're creative, we are solution finders. Embrace that plot twist and keep going to the next chapter. I make the case for comms by including folks on the team across the whole organization. You don't have to be on a comms team to participate in communications. When it comes to planning and execution, everyone can play a role. When it comes to working on that project together, it's about shared understanding, shared ownership, and ultimately, shared support for the magic of communications. Hello, I'm Michelle Lutke, Communications Director at Oregon Consumer Justice. My greatest leadership lesson is to embrace the hard stuff that life, circumstances, broken systems, colleagues, my kids, send my way, and more so to meet those conditions and the other people involved with care, inquiry, and candor. Hard stuff is hard, but when you lean toward it with your whole self, you grow and evolve the most. 
To make the case for communications, I center our shared values, connecting the dots so all can see their role in our story. I elevate every opportunity I can to show how communications is a part of everyone's day-to-day, -day, even if it's not a part of their title. External communications starts with internal communications. Good morning. I'm Curtis Esquivel, and I lead communications and community engagement for the Betcher Foundation in Colorado. <laughs> My greatest leadership lesson is that leadership is at its best and most influential when it's thought of as a constant activity, which has nothing to do with titles, status, or positions. I make the case for comms by bringing authenticity and intention to every interaction, in particular during the small moments, for they inspire the big moments. Hi, good morning. My name is Rebecca Chamberlain-Krianga from the Kresge Foundation. My greatest leadership lesson is make time for relationships and don't run from hard conversations because it's in the trial by fire and real vulnerability that true lasting transformation happens. I make the case for comms by emphasizing communications is all about change and change is all about communications and you can't make change and communicate it until you know the change you want to make. So let's get to it. Good morning. I'm Gail Fuller with the Disability and Philanthropy Forum. My leadership tip is to model what it means to bring your whole self to work. It builds a culture of inclusion. It strengthens the internal communications. I wish I had had the courage early in my career to disclose my disability. I cannot turn back time, but I can stand here today to say I am a black woman with a non-apparent disability, and I'm proud to be part of the disability community. I make my case for communications by igniting the hearts and minds. It's about the data. It's about the storytelling, because it's so critical to bring our colleagues into this work. How do we work? How we're perceived and the impact. And I want to say to all of you, you do not have to have communications in your title to make the case. So let's all get together and start making the case for communications. Hi, ComNet. Good morning. Uh, my name is Ross Jensby. I'm a communications associate at Health Forward Foundation in Kansas City. Where I grew up, the phrase Midwest nice is thrown around a lot. But as any Midwesterner will tell you, nice and kind are not the same thing. Here's why you should make your communications kind, not nice. Many times, the kind thing to say is not the easy thing to say. Nice communications can leave people feeling good, but can also obscure a hard truth. And it's easy to convince ourselves that a nice communication did tell a hard truth. Our audiences deserve communication that is clear, direct, and honest. In other words, kind. People will not listen to your perspective unless they know you care about them. Kind communication is the best way to build real trust with the 
people and communities we serve. So if you're looking for permission, stop being so nice and start being kind. Good morning. My name is Marissa Kaiser. I come from Seattle, Washington, where I'm Senior Director of Communications at the Casey Family Programs. So my word for leadership is belonging. Belonging for you, belonging for your team, belonging for strategic communications. You belong here. You belong at the leadership table in whatever skin you're in, the body that you bring, whatever sexual orientation you present, you belong here. I also say as a leader, you have the opportunity to create space for belonging of each and every team member because each and every team member has a valuable and unique resource to contribute to the whole. Now, as for the case for strategic communications, we belong, right? We have all been part of that table that was a little excluded. And when strategic communications is at the table, it's better. We belong. Good morning, everybody. I'm Vidya Krishnamurthy, Chief Communications Officer and Senior Advisor to the President at the Hewlett Foundation in California. And my leadership lesson is simple. Stay curious, because comms is dynamic and fast-changing, because that's the way we make sure we know our audience, and because that new hire who walked through the door just might have the answer to the questions you've been asking. And when I make the case for communications, I do it by drawing a clear connection to mission. Strategic communications is all about advancing the core charitable goals. It's not about ego. It's not about that cool thing going viral. We know, everyone here knows, that comms is at its best when it's about wielding your voice, using your influence to advocate for your community. How incredible were those lessons? Who else is feeling inspired? I know I've learned so much from this group, and I think it's a wonderful moment to reflect on just the incredible wisdom that exists within this network, up here in the seats next to you. Tap into it. We truly, as communicators, have an inside track on leadership. So please join me one more time in giving a round of applause for this incredible group. Y'all, it is nerve-wracking being up here even as communications folks. And let's just continue that round of applause for the whole Communications Network team for giving us the gift of this network, truly. All right, now we're gonna turn to the keynote. So we're gonna continue the conversation. We're excited to bring up Judy Belk and Richard Tate from the California Wellness Foundation. Judy is a senior advisor and the former president and CEO of the foundation, a role she served in for nine years. Judy is joined by Richard, the new president and CEO of California Wellness. Judy and Richard would be inspiring in any room, 
but it means all the more knowing that they came to their positions as lifelong communications professionals. So I hope you're as eager as I am to listen in on this conversation. Please join me in welcoming Judy and Richard to the stage. Hello, ComNet, how are you? All right. Hi, um, I'm Judy Belk, and I am so excited to be here. But first, can you just join me in just really applauding again for the great tips? And I, I was certainly taking notes, and I hope you were. But our colleagues who came up, it's really tough to, to stand up in front of a group, especially before 10 o'clock in the morning. So can we just thank them? OK. I have been really dying to tell you folks about this story why I flew across the country to tell you this story. Okay, this is uh, what happened. Eight years ago, uh, I was asked to come to a ComNet conference in San Diego. I was a year into the job, and I, had a, and I was so excited because I was finally in charge, and I also had notes about what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do as a leader. And clearly for me, given the fact that most of my career has been in communications, centering communications was really key. So I had the vision, but I needed, I needed a really good partner to help me. So I came and I talked eight years ago about the need for strategy, communication strategy. And at the end of my presentation, I said, by the way, I'm looking for a partner of Vice President of Public Affairs. Come and talk to me. Went to a, a networking session, and I got a tap on the shoulder. Richard Tate said, I hear you're looking for a VP of Public Affairs. <laughs> And the rest is history. Oh, yeah. I heard so, the call. I know. So, effective September 1st, Richard became the new president and CEO of the California Wellness Foundation. But prior to that, he was my partner. We were joined at the hip of really both of us 
feeling very strongly about here's our shot to really show what communication, what communicating as leaders can do in bringing about social change. Mm -hmm. And so, Richard, one of the questions that I'm just dying, and so the other thing you should know, which um, I think should be honored to know, you know, since Richard has taken over, there have been loads of folks who've wanted to get on his calendar and speak. He's chosen that his first big coming out party is here at ComNet. So we're going where else? Where well, else? It all started so, here. So, Richard, I'm just dying. One, why, why did you say yes? Because you were a hot commodity, you know, eight years <laughs> ago. And I'm just curious, when you, after you came in and you talked to the board, staff, and community, kind of, you know, after you'd been on the job for a month or so, you came in and said you, you had to have a conversation with me. So why yes, did you come, yes. and then what did you find out? Okay, so why did I come? Well, first of all, uh, 2015, my very first ComNet, I actually came with an agenda. I was ready for a change in my career, and I was looking for a leadership opportunity, not just a communications job, but a leadership opportunity. And why did I choose to come? The panel that Judy was speaking on in 2015 was a panel of CEOs talking about making the case for communications. And so I heard you speak, Judy, and I said, I need to know that woman. Okay. And when you said, I'm looking for VP of Public Affairs, I said, I'm your guy, right? Right, right. right. <laughs> but why I joined the foundation personally, I was ready to be in an organization where I could connect more authentically with mm -hmm. who I am as a biracial mm -hmm. gay man. And when I looked at you on that stage, and then I looked at the website for the California Wellness Foundation, one of the most diverse organizations in philanthropy, I thought that is where I want to take mm -hmm. my talent mm -hmm. and my time for the next several years. And um, it was meant to be. Uh, someone said earlier, the magic is in the partnership. Right. So as I began to work with you and talk to you, um, I learned a lot about the foundation in those early days. To your question about kind of that conversation where I came to you not long after I started, right. a couple of things are key. I got a lot of time with you as VP of Public Affairs because you'd made the choice not only to have me to report directly to you, leading communications, mm -hmm. but I actually had a seat at the management team table. Exactly. So I had a lot of time with you. And in those early days, I heard a lot about your vision for the kind of organization you wanted to leave. You were talking about not just being a trusted grant maker, but being a social change philanthropy. Mm -hmm. You were talking about race. You were talking about innovation. And I had to come to you and I said, Judy, I heard what you were laying down in all those conversations during the interview process, and I've listened to you for these first few months, but when I was doing my research and when I look at the website that we got going on right now, the language doesn't match your vision. Mm. I know, it was tough what, love. What, what, what is discoverable about this amazing organization, um, which had a well-regarded communications program, uh, but the language, the vision that you were articulating was not reflected uh, in what was discoverable about the foundation. Mm -hmm. And then I asked you, how bold is this staff and your board, how bold are they mm -hmm. willing to be? Because you talk a great game, but are right. all the, is everybody else behind you? Right. And so one of the first things that we did together, 
Well, one of the first things I did was I hired a terrific communications director, Miss Sandy Smith, who is with us here today. Woo-hoo, Sandy! That's one of the first things that I did. And one of the first things that Sandy and I did with you and the staff and the board was a messaging exercise. Mm-hmm. We looked at our vision, our mission, our beliefs, and we really pushed ourselves to make sure that the vision that you were articulating was reflected in our language mm-hmm. and that people were coming along in that process. We also did a fun little exercise to this issue of kind of how bold do we want to be around risk. We created a little, remember this little chart? We had this sort of diagram. We're a public health foundation. So why are we talking about social justice? Mm -hmm. And how bold do we want to be about that? So we had a little matrix. On an x-axis, we had health. And on the other end, we had wellness. You know, delivery of health care versus all these social factors that influence our health and wellness. And then we had this axis around social justice. Are we going to be quiet and behind the scenes about this commitment? Or are we going to be bold and use our voice to talk about it? And that exercise really laid the foundation for all the work that we were able to do. That was in 2015. We've been working together for seven plus years. I know, I know. Yeah. Let's sit down. Okay, We've we okay. got a couple of stories. Okay. We're going to sit. All right. We're going to talk. I got the clicker. You got the minute. clicker. Okay. okay. So I joined in 2016, mm-hmm. and one of the first projects that we worked on together was a big multi-million dollar investment in which we were using not only our dollars, but it was a, it was a public affairs effort right. as well. But this story actually starts before, do we have slides? Just one slide, the visual. Yep, back up. There we go. The story actually began before I joined. So in 2015, uh, there was a tragic shooting in San Bernardino, California. Mm-hmm. And this was, I think, under your leadership, one of the first opportunities for you not only to use the voice of the foundation, but to use your own personal story. You had a deep connection to this issue. So take us back to this incident, and then we'll talk about Hope and Heal. Um, Sure. Um, You know, December 2015, um, a mass shooting in San Bernardino, California. Uh, California Wellness um, has always um, been a leader in the fight against gun violence. To be perfectly honest, it's one of the reasons I came to the foundation. Um, Unfortunately, I lost uh, my sister Vicki to gun violence 44 years ago, and I had been really intrigued with the work of California Wellness Foundation really framing gun violence um, more than just a criminal justice issue, but gun violence as it is a public health issue. And so one of the things that was happening, every time there was a mass shooting, we would hear from other funders saying, okay, what can we do, what can we do? And, you know, what we also knew um, is that gun violence, while, yes, mass shootings are horrendous, but lives are lost to, to gun violence, lives like my sister Vicki, you know, every day, uh, and disproportionately a, a lot of them are in communities of color. And so I'm saying, how do we get out of this cycle and how do we uh, get other funders to join us. And what I was hearing from my other CEOs is, Judy, we really would like to be with you, but it's too hot of an issue. And I 
said, well, what if we came up with a way of having collective action and I provide you some covers? So really, Hope and Hill was a communication strategy directed mm -hmm at the philanthropic um, community to join us. And, and it started with an event, right? You, yeah. hosted, you hosted an event, a convening, exactly. you speakers, you really sort of rallied people around the issue. And um, we really you know, had uh, support from our colleagues at Spitfire. Uh, Hope and Hill was intentional. Um, we uh, kind of stole the concept from funder, uh, Fund for a Safer Future that was started by the Joyce Foundation, another partner that uh, explicitly talks about gun violence. And we started, and I spent a lot of my time on the phone uh, calling uh, other CEOs. Communications. And, and high <laughs> net worth donors. We had house parties with high net worth donors. Um, and Part of the strategy was we're really talking about hope. We're talking about hope that we can have a society that families like mine don't have to go through this. We need to heal communities. And so I just was out talking, and I'm a pretty private person. I just didn't, wasn't, I don't often just put my stuff out there, but um, I said if it would save lives, I will talk about Vicky, I will talk about the life um, uh, that was lost and the impact. And uh, we started with um, six funders who really, because they got tired of me bugging them, saying, okay, 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 we'll do it. Um, we, we now you know, have over 20 uh, funders and um, it's been endorsed by the state of California. They just, they provided us $5 million. It is the first uh, collaborative on gun violence prevention um, in California. Mm -hmm. And it's a legacy issue. So that was 2015. Mm -hmm. And I was feeling pretty good, had you by my side, and then, um, you know, when I took over at Cal Wellness, one of the other reasons I was so excited was Obama was the president, and um, the foundation had worked really hard with other health funders in California to show how the Affordable Care Act could make a difference. The idea is that the Affordable Care Act could work in a state as diverse and complex mm -hmm. as California. It could work in any state. So we were going. And then 2016 happened. I didn't see it coming. Mm -hmm. and, um, and everything that the foundation stood for uh, was at risk. Mm -hmm. And you said we have to really stand and get our act together. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, help me out, come up with a strategy and an initiative. And you did Advance and Defend. The Advance and Defend Wellness Campaign. Right. Um, but it wasn't that simple. I, like everyone else, 2016 happened, um, 45 was elected, and I initially was... Uh, 
in a bit of a state of shock. It's not that we hadn't anticipated what might happen, but the reality after November 6th settled in. And uh, I think many of us were grieving, as you said, the potential or the reality that a lot of the progress that we'd made mm -hmm. was at risk, was at threat. And I remember all of us coming to work the next day, sort of looking at one another, thinking, well, what do we do next? And part of what we began to see was that um, people were organizing in the streets, people were protesting, there was outrage. So we quickly moved from that sense of shock to your point around, you know, we've got to do something. This is the opportunity to respond. Mm -hmm. And having been, I felt like you'd invested in me and this team to build sort of a capacity to respond to the moment. But you know, the other thing too, Richard, was our community folks saying, yeah, you sent us money, but where's your voice? We ha and we had two yeah. grantees come into a board meeting. You remember right. in December, we had right. Angelica Salas at the Center for Humane Immigrant Rights Los Angeles and Anthony Thigpen mm -hmm. at California Calls. And they looked at us at that boardroom and at that table and they said, now is not the time to pull back. Mm -hmm. Now is not the time to be afraid. We need to not only defend the progress, but advance this mm -hmm. work. And so you let us, the public affairs team, the programs team, sit down together and say, okay, what do we do? Our public policy director who sat on the public affairs team next to our communications director put our heads together and we said, what are the issues that are moving mm -hmm. right now? What are the things that are at threat? Um, we took our existing strategy, we've put it aside for a moment, and we said that it's threats to the ACA, access to health care. It's uh, the safety net. All, uh, mm -hmm. We need to bolster the safety net programs. Attacks on immigrants. Mm -hmm. We need to really support immigrant rights in this moment. And anti-hate violence was, was through the roof. We had a long history of violence prevention, but this specific focus on the anti-hate violence. And so that was a strategic decision driven in part by our communications and our policy awareness of what was moving in the environment. We shifted our strategy. We pushed $14 million under that Advance and Defend Wellness campaign, and we used our voice. Mm -hmm. We had board members, staff members, grantees, all who made statements, participated in a public affairs campaign to talk about advancing and defending wellness. Mm -hmm. um, and that campaign was one of our first big mm -hmm. efforts to sort of shift the organization and use our voice together. Okay. So um, one, one of the legacies that you leave, Judy, at the foundation uh, is boldness. Mm -hmm. mm. Boldness. So let's talk about uh, gender, race, and sex. Right. One of your, <laughs> one of your big projects right. was about gender, race, and sex, and another area where we not only moved dollars, but we used our voice to support communities. Yeah, I, um, for me, it really um, started back, you know, when I was leading a global public affairs for the Levi Strauss company, and it was one of the few corporations at that time that really uh, stood up early um, and intentionally on the fight against AIDS. And I, um, we were really, I mean, AIDS was spreading like wildfire, and we were looking at, uh, we did some focus groups in Europe, and uh, was talking to some young women, and, and public education campaigns, I said, weren't really um, focused on their needs. And so I had our marketing um, team at, um, at Levi's come up with a public service 
uh, announcement focused on condoms, you know, what to wear when you're not wearing Levi's. And um, we just, um, and so that stuck with me. And so, okay, then I'm, I, I'm following AIDS, I'm at Cal Wellness, and this is a missed opportunity where folks really believe that the AIDS epidemic is over. The face of AIDS has just changed. Um, you know, African Americans make up 13% of the population, and almost 45% of the, of the mortalities um, associated with AIDS. And the one story is uh, the focus on the impact of AIDS on African American women. No one were really talking about that. So we went out, talked with African American women, and said, um, yeah, the public education campaigns that are approaching us are not uh, empowering. They don't speak to us. And so again, with our um, colleagues at Rowley, we came up with an upspoken uh, campaign mm -hmm. really focused on centering love and self-care. And, and so I was talking a lot about, um, about sex and safety and um, believing in self-care. So it was and a when, really yeah. great and talking explicitly about race, yeah. black women, women of color. And that was a conversation in the boardroom, right. on staff. How explicit and clear are we going to be about this? And it was a bold campaign. It Do you remember the tagline conversations? Remember the tagline you wanted to go with? Yeah, I wanted to go with, you know, um, good sex ain't always good. But, um, <laughs> you know, um, and, you know, I got, you know, comments, you know, my family kept seeing all the stuff. What is this thing about sex you're talking about so much? I, you know, like I said, I believe me, I'm a really prude about this sort of thing. I really don't like my business, but I will, t I will stand on my head if it means saving lives. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and, and the issue, especially um, in the South around uh, the AIDS epidemic, mm -hmm. is still very much with us. Mm -hmm. Voice. We don't, wanna, we don't want folks to leave thinking it's all mm -hmm. easy, right, in terms of raising voice. No, stuff is goes that, wrong. Did I just step on your line, no, maybe? No, you're good. I don't know. Okay. You're good. Um, but um, we've got, you know, some battle scars. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, so I'll share one story, um, one visual here. Uh, actually, we, each of us has a story. Yeah. I'll tell, I talk a little bit about this uh, experience I had with The Economist and then um, the writing that you do for the LA Times. So uh, a couple years ago, um, and a writer at The Economist approached us uh, to write a story about diversity and philanthropy. That was the, the pitch. Um, seemed well aligned with the work that we do at the foundation. Um, and I felt personally passionate about this. Um, as a biracial gay man in a role of leadership, uh, visibility is important, and I really felt like this was an opportunity for us to articulate our point of view. Lots of colleagues in the sector had participated in the story. So I sat down with the writer, and um, as I do, I shared my story, who I am in my leadership, um, what's important to me, and then, of course, moved into conversation about the work and what I saw moving in the field. What was actually published was basically a hit piece on progressive philanthropy, talking about how identity politics were taking over um, the philanthropic left. And the way that I was characterized in that piece, um, I think I was just described as a, bi a biracial gay, Richard, a biracial gay, um, was 
shocking to me, and it was deeply hurtful, and I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed as a communications professional that I had somehow got pulled into this, this conversation, that I had not been smart about how I used my story. That was one thing that, you know, you and I have, have talked a lot about, using our stories in, in the work that we do, um, and I really felt exposed. Yeah, and, and you know, Richard, I, I felt badly because, as you recall, um, I was out the door on my way to, on vacation, and I was supposed to take yeah. that story, <laughs> that interview, and you said, I got I it. I can do it, I can do and it. And so... But do you remember, I, so I was upset, and, um, you know, talked to communications director Sandy, should we respond, what we should do, now let's just leave it, you know. Mm -hmm. And I shared with you how upset I was. And do you remember what you told me? What you did said, I say? Richard, don't let them shut you up. Yeah. Don't let them shut you up. Mm -hmm. That's exact. <laughs> don't pull back. I am so sorry you had to go through that. Mm. Um, speaking about shutting up, um, <laughs> you know, uh, before, um, before I came to Cal Wellness, you know, I was... Um, I, to, um, I was a writer. We got to move. Oh, you know? I'm sorry, Judy. Gotta, That's yeah. right. We got your story too yeah. about what what can go wrong. Yeah, it was when, a yeah. shut up thing. Um, I, I I've always um, been a writer, and I you know I told the board before I came I write, and um, I tend to write about things that annoy me um, and move my soul, and so as a result I write a lot about race uh, and um, and family. And the um, LA Times has been a great partner uh, and uh, have given me lots of opportunities on the op-ed pages, which by the way, I have to say, they say they do not get enough content from women. Mm. Uh, so I would just, um, all of you women writers. And so um, I, um, I wrote, you know, a piece that actually I thought was one of my more favorite pieces about why black people dress better than whites. And <laughs> um, uh, provocative, and you can, you know, Google it and read it. But um, I got a call from my board chair who said, you know, Judy, I got a letter, an anonymous letter at my office mm. um, from someone who, um, and, you know, he read it to me, and it basically says, Please shut her up. She is an embarrassment to the foundation. She um, and, and you know, and she got it all wrong. White people do dress well, um, <laughs> you know. And how can you? You need to fire her. And um, and so the board chair just said, uh, and I, and I said, oh yeah, and they sent me a copy of it too. And he was great in terms of being very um, supportive. And I would, would say that, um, that it just reminded me mm -hmm. um, that I did have a platform. I mean, the LA Times was just terrific. They just pushed it out uh, nationally. And it's also a good reminder about um, having how important it is um, who's in the boardroom. Mm -hmm. um, this is the most diverse organization <clears throat> that I have ever been <clears throat> a part of. Um, 
the majority of our board are folks of color, um, women, the majority of the staff um, that now Rich Richard leads is majority folks of color and staff. And it just uh, has made a mm -hmm. difference in terms of covering, but it's just, uh, um, it's just a reminder that uh, I try to be bold and courageous in all of our communication, but it doesn't always mean it's all going to be fuzzy. Mm -hmm. And I, I know from, uh, from other communicators um, that one false move um, could um, put a chill over um, board and, um, and, and CEOs, and I you know, I hope that's not the case. It's not, not been the case for us. Mm, yeah. Okay, should we ready now for get to our advice? Pro tips, yeah, to yes. wrap up here. Okay. Um, You're I up first, Judy. I'm, so, I'm up first. Um, okay. Here we go. I've learned a lot from you, and the, you picked three. Those are yours. Oh, let me go back. <laughs> there you go. Okay, I'm going to go... Um, Really quickly, I have something called Belt's Common Sense Checklist. It's about 20 checklist items. I just picked some <laughs> of my for, for in terms of, of leading. First of all, um, protect your brand. I don't mean it from a marketing thing. I am saying, who are you? Who do you stand for? Who are your values? Is the organization you're currently working in uh, good enough for you? Um, are you in alignment? Um, and I would ask that you think about um, that in terms of the space that you're in and as you look at other, um, at other opportunities. What is your core? What is it that you won't do? Like, you just can't pay me to lie for you. Um, I don't like, you know, working for abusive folks. Life is too short. Whatever <laughs> it is, Figure that out, and it starts with you. Um, get in the room where it happens. Um, I am suspicious of any organization which says that they are committed to communications and the communications function is not represented on the senior team. I just, I just don't know... I don't know how you can lead an organization and not have community relations, I mean, uh, communications mm -hmm. at, um, at the table. Uh, so um, you need to get uh, in the room, and once you're in the room, uh, you need to have your act together so you can add value. You need to know a little bit about a lot, whether it's mission-related investing, whether it's a grant-making strategy, um, and the trends that are happening uh, in, um, in the community. And you need to put that slide back up because I need to other tips. <laughs> um, and, you know, and find rooms. I mean, you know, there's, there was one staff member just knew that, you know, she could influence me when I was in the bathroom. And so, you know, it's like, I'm in the bathroom, Judy, you, you know, you're going to have this grant, and this is why you need to support it. Let me out the stall, please. Um, okay. Um, stuff um, happens. Um, always have a plan B. March of 2020, in the last person leaving with our office manager as we had closed down and we looked at each other and I said, you know, I can do this for two weeks. Uh, 
I left my favorite sweater on my, you know, my chair. I just really thought, and I would say, um, I just didn't get that memo about, um, you know, not leading a public health or organization during a global pandemic. It, um, it was a tough time personally. Um, I lost a, a cousin during the first wave of, of deaths. My children were, uh, adult children were on the other side of the country. And I used every communications trick I could think of to keep our staff motivated, uh, connected, connecting with the community. I did, you know, backyard chats with my dog um, and anything that I could. And the amount of people who uh, we lost, um, mm. it just still takes my breath away. Um, I didn't see it coming. Um, I had to throw out every plan that I had. Then finally find work you love and a partner um, you love more. Um, I was fortunate in you know, finding love early, but um, it's not only my partner. I have um, you know, a Belk's Kitchen Cabinet, mainly women who are strategically placed in different time zones, so someone's always awake if I have it. <laughs> Um, these are folks who said you will not have the only child to go to college who's not potty trained, and they are the ones who say you are not going to wear that today. So, um, and then, you know, my writing group, a group of writers who have no idea what I, you know, do during the day. It's just like, what are the five pages you're bringing in today? Hmm. So, Richard, what are your tips? All right. Well, this uh, was a meaningful exercise for me as I <laughs> step into the CEO role. But as a communicator, uh, here, here are my tips, and I'll, I'll be brief. Um, invest in you. And this is something that I learned early. Uh, as communicators, we give a lot of our time and our energy to other people. Our jobs are to listen and to take other people's ideas and translate that into uh, product and action. Uh, invest in you, invest in your ideas and invest in your training and your coaching, um, concrete things that help you build your skills, particularly if you're interested in leading teams and organizations. Um, those skills don't magically emerge in people. Invest in you and take the time to, to grow and find people who will support you in doing that. Mm -hmm. Stay curious. Someone said that earlier. Um, and again, uh, you know, being curious is important as communicators. But as a leader, as someone who's leading teams and organizations, there's often a lot of pressure to know, to know the answer, to be able to make the decision. Uh, but being curious really empowers the people that you're leading to come up with their own ideas and to support you in making those decisions. Uh, and it helps you stay open and connected to what's moving in your team and in your organization as well. And finally, share the stage. Uh, as each of us achieves success in our work, uh, none of us does that alone. And so it's really important to share the stage. We've mentioned a couple of people in the work that we've done mm -hmm. together who have been supportive of us. Uh, we've got folks from the Cal Wellness team who are here today and our public affairs team, Stephanie Gomez and Stephanie Myers. 
um, folks back in our LA and Oakland offices in California, uh, Spitfire Communications, who's uh, in the house today, uh, Rally, who helped us with some of the work that we've shared with you. Uh, it takes a lot of people. And when we have opportunities like this to be on stage, it's important, I think, that we share the spotlight. And Ms. Judy Belk, Mm. No one has done that more beautifully and generously than you have. Thank so you. I want to take this as an opportunity to thank you, thank you. for sharing the stage with me today. Mm -hmm. Since 2015, we've had the honor of working together. We met here at ComNet. It is a full circle moment for us to be here today. Thank you for your leadership and support. And I'm so honored to share the stage with you. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. It's, uh, it's, it's been a joke. The last you know, month or so of, of my tenure, I've been just saying, uh, see Richard, you know, talk to Richard. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. Check with Richard. Um, but I, I want to say this to you, and I really do believe it. I mean, maybe you'll invite me back in a, in a few more years. I believe that increasingly, um, the, the skills that, uh, that are represented in this room um, give you a competitive edge, not only uh, to be just amazing, kick-ass uh, communications professionals, but I think you will see more and more folks with strong communications background moving into CEO positions. Um, it has to happen. So, um, so you too will have that opportunity. Richard is hiring. Um, so, yes. if you have uh, positions, please come up and say hello to me. I don't have a job for you, but I'd be happy to talk to you. But um, we wish you luck. Um, I hope you will continue to also support. Um, uh, Comnet. This is an organization that's been really important uh, to me throughout my career, and um, and it's an organization both Richard and I've looked to um, through our partnership together. So thank you.